2: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, March 19th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what advocates are doing to help make child care affordable for Mississippians.
3: This is an economic development problem. This is a work- workforce development problem. And it's a security problem when it comes to having your child in the safe place when you go work.
2: On Everyday Tech, find out why you should add your gadgets to the list for spring cleaning. Then we'll hear from a specialist on preventing and identifying
0: colorectal cancer. If I can save one person, then my job has been done.
2: That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers are expected to continue their inquiry into how the Department of Human Services manages the child care payment system. The program provides financial help to low-income families for child care. Lawmakers held a hearing with DHS officials to learn more about the program's funding. John Davis is executive director of the State Department of Human Services. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier they're partnering with companies to help with funding concerns.
4: In Mississippi, the way we're looking at a waiting list is anybody who applies, they may or may not be eligible. So say say we say 22,000 are on a waiting list. We've just had 22,000 people that have applied. We have not determined eligibility. So it's not saying we have 22,000 eligible children on a waiting list. It just says 22,000 people are wanting us to determine their eligibility. But we can't in good conscience determine eligibility until we know we have funds to, to expend toward those vouchers. So, so when you, we're talking about the number of kids served, about 22,000, based on the number on the waiting list, about 20, 20 to 22,000, these 22,000 that are currently receiving are eligible. They meet all the criteria, their income, the age, everything. You can apply for child care. You may not even have a child. And we'd put you on a waiting list.
5: But it would seem that if you sign up for the waiting list, you think you're eligible. And chances are you're probably low income.
4: Probably, uh, in all likelihood. But you would be surprised at who we have signed up for programs. We do not prohibit anyone for any reason to apply. Same way on the TANF and the SNAP side or any of the programs that we, we administer. We, w- we encourage people to apply. We want to determine their eligibility.
5: And in 2016, Mississippi missed out on 13 million. How did that happen?
4: The 13 million, and this has been reported several times, but the 13 million is money that is sitting there for for a particular piece of the program, the slot program. And there was a maintenance of effort required to draw down that that 13 million. The Department of Human Services did not have the additional state funds to draw down the 13 million.
5: How much did you need?
4: Seven million. So it's the match for the money. But what we've done to mitigate and eliminate that in the future, that was 2016, 2017, 2018, not going to happen. Uh, we've got private-public pub- partnerships now. We have companies willing to put up the match so that their employees can get the, that uh, that program. So it's called the SLOT program.
5: And you mentioned that in order for a child to come off the list who is eligible for child care, someone has to end... There's child care service? If it's
4: eligibility. People people are coming on and off of the eligibility out of the programs every month, age out, income level changes, moving out of the state. So it's, it's like this in all the needs-based programs. People are coming on and off the programs. So on the child care side, if there's a limited amount of funds, then once the $96 million is capped with the number of people we can serve, the 25000 then someone would have to come off of the program in order for someone who is eligible to go back on the program, right? So it makes sense. The money has to be there before we can approve an additional person. So we cannot, as a state, rely solely on federal dollars. We should, I mean, this is our folks. You know, this this is the citizens we serve. So we're trying to be proactive in this.
2: John Davis, executive director of the State Department of Human Services with our Desiree Frazier. Carol Burnett is director of the Mississippi Low-Income Child Care Initiative. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier she sees positive changes being made at DHS.
6: There are some really promising developments that are taking place. They do have a revised policy manual that eliminates many of the policies that posed procedural barriers to parents who are trying to keep their child care assistance. They're beginning to issue child care certificates to parents on the waiting list. They're beginning to update contact information. And so I think that they're making some really terrific changes that needed to be made. There were some serious difficulties with the redetermination of all the parents that occurred over the course of last year. There was a real disheartening announcement that we failed to meet the match in the child care block red in 2016. Um, But uh, John Davis said today, and we had met with his team uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, to really get into the details about that match, they're committed to not letting that happen again. And uh, we're trying to help find every source that can count to go toward that match so that it doesn't happen again. This year, they have until September of this year to meet the match for the 2017 funds. And they have until... September of next year to meet the match in the 2018 fund. So we've got some time. Um, uh, And like I was saying earlier, the source of those funds is easiest when it comes from a state legislature appropriation to the agency. Um, If it doesn't, then there's some real narrow restrictions on how the states are allowed to count private money and their limitations on how much of the pre-K money in the state that states are allowed to count toward the child care block grant
5: match. Well, he said now he's going after partnerships and um, getting their uh, dollars involved in this.
6: Yeah, that's for the private money. And he's looking at employers who benefit, and that's a good place to look because their employees are able to come to work if they have child care. So it makes a lot of sense, and uh, we really think it fits with the notion that this child care program really is an investment in in Mississippi's workforce.
5: You said there are approximately 100,000 children in the state who are eligible for child care. Uh, The fact that the state is able to help 22 to 25 thousand with another 20 or more on a waiting list. Um, That's a lot of kids out there, and the services provided aren't meeting 50 percent of the need.
6: Oh, no, nowhere near 50 percent of the need. That's true, and um, that's why we're so eager to find every source, every revenue stream we can that can supplement what we get through this federal child care block grant. That's why the transfer from TANF, for example, is so important, because it increases the amount of money we have available in the child care program. We're looking uh, and trying to get others in the workforce leadership and at DHS to work with us to look for revenue streams from everywhere that we can find it because, you know, the state wants to increase our workforce participation rate. And we want people to go to work. And if what what's standing between them and the ability to go to work is affordable child care, we need to address that.
5: The perspective from the providers, what are you hearing from them at this point? The providers are pleased
6: with these new developments, but they haven't yet had a direct financial impact.
5: It's a lot
2: of work to do.
6: Mm -hmm. A lot of work to do, and a lot of unmet need that we really need to meet.
5: Carol Burnett, thank you so much.
2: Thank you. House Democrat Shaq Taylor of Starkville owns a daycare center. He says it's a bipartisan issue.
3: Wherever those issues are, we're not having enough roundtable discussions to solve this problem. So my wish is, my hope is to sincerely bring together Uh, legislators on the House and Senate side, uh, people from the governor's office, and DHS to help solve these problems with the input of local community members who are being affected. This is an economic development problem. This is a workforce development problem. And it's a security problem when it comes to having your child in a safe place when you go work. So this should be a priority. Not just roads and bridges, not just education, not just all these other bills we've been passing, but this is a priority for the state of Mississippi. Childcare is not a... A black or white issue. This is a bipartisan effort because this affects both Republicans and Democrats. Childcare is not a partisan issue. Childcare is a people issue.
2: Another hearing is planned for this week. Coming up, we'll hear from a specialist on preventing and identifying colorectal cancer. That's after Everyday Tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: MPB's digital media workshop for high school students was amazing. I learned new skills, and now I'm pursuing a career in film production. That's
2: my MPB story.
3: Next time on Mississippi Roads, we take a look at pop culture in the state. We visit a nationally renowned comic book artist,
7: visit a young entrepreneur, block to the Mississippi Comic Con, and celebrate the art of light at a new kind of festival.
3: I'm Walt Creighton. Join me on the next Mississippi Roads.
5: Thursday at 7 on MPB Television.
2: This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilt Couture, and today we're discussing spring cleaning your tech. So, Wilt, what's the first thing people should think about when spring cleaning their tech?
1: first thing you really need to focus on is what do you need? Um, You know, it's very much like if you're trying to sit there and, you know, do a little bit of spring cleaning at the house. Where are your areas that you have some pain points? Where are some areas you have a concern? Maybe you've been looking at that garage all winter and, you know, it's like, I got to get something done with that. So, of course, in your spring cleaning adventures, you're going to focus on that first. Well, the same thing with your tech. Where are your pain points? Where is it that you feel like you need a little bit of organization or or a little bit of just straightening up to make your tech life a little bit easier.
2: So one of my biggest needs is cleaning out my email. Are there any tips to making that
1: process a little bit easier? Well, you know, really there are. You can use technology to your advantage and Michelle, you're not alone. That seems to be one of the biggest concerns a lot of folks have. I'll use my mother-in-law for an example. It's amazing how many old emails she will end up retaining and I have to tell her, it's like you do know that that coupon from that store from a year ago is no longer good. It's not still on sale so it's okay to let things go. I I call it almost digital hoarding at times. It seems like we just accumulate all this, but really you can use rules within your email to your advantage. So no matter what email tools you're using, if you're visiting a web page for your email provider or you're using a desktop app such as Outlook or Thunderbird, there is settings available to allow you to send mail by senders or by certain subjects or keywords into different folders to kind of put them to where they're a little bit easier for you to manage. One of my favorite tools is, you know, we all end up having to sign up for a store somewhere, maybe to get a coupon or there was something going on. Well, what I'll do is I'll set a rule for emails from that store will go into a bulk email folder. So I can go in there and check it every now and then, but it's not part of my main inbox. It's not part of that, that growing number that all of us see on our phone or on our computer that says, you've got this many unread messages. It's over there for me to look at a little bit later. I kind of Think of that the same way you would when you maybe get a circular or a flyer in the mail at the house. You you kind of set it off to the side. It's like, I'll look at that later, maybe after dinner or when I have a few spare minutes. But it's not just dominating your day. So when you're working on organizing those files, and especially those emails, don't think of it like we do that junk drawer in the kitchen where you just kind of throw everything in there and you know it takes you about 15 minutes to find what it is you're looking for. Think of it more so like that well-organized file cabinet you have off in the office where you can go right to it and you can find your bills and you can find your taxes and you can find your receipts and things that are important like that. Treat your email that same way. Should people be concerned about the outside of their devices as well? Definitely, Michelle. We should be looking at the outside of our devices. It is important to keep things such as dust and dirt away from the outside. It can definitely affect performance, and especially if you're talking about that computer in your office, usually under the desk, that dust can actually shorten the life of some things. So you really want to look at keeping that clean. It seems so many people don't think about the cleaning of their tech devices until, oh, say that computer in your office sounds a little bit more like a jet engine taking off out on the runway. But it's really important to head it off before then. So, Michelle, when we talk about spring cleaning your tech, it's really important that we don't just think of this in the spring. This is an ongoing event, but it's really easy for us to associate this with spring cleaning and, you know, it's when we're we're getting all the clutter out and we're getting ready for a a wonderful summer ahead and all kinds of fun with friends and family, well along with those friends and family usually is going to come along some tech devices. So just like you would not just clean your house once a year and you wouldn't just change the oil in your car once a year, you don't want to just manage and clean your tech once a year. This needs to be an ongoing process and a part of your, your regular maintenance tasks. So not only are we talking about keeping our devices clean, dust-free, and operating really well, but at the same time, if one of those main pain points that you identified earlier is in your organization of email and files and some other things, making sure that you maintain this throughout the year can keep from you having to spend your entire day spring cleaning and give you a little bit more time to get out and enjoy the sun.
2: We will talk more about spring cleaning your tech on the next episode of Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. For Woods Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition.
6: As a taxi driver, I listen to MPB a lot. I learned the symptoms of a female heart attack from Southern Remedy. And it helped me to save a co-worker's life. That's my MPB story.
7: Riddle me this. What has five wheels, smells great, and probably its own Instagram page. If you guessed a food truck, then make sure you listen to the next Deep South Dining, as we talk about the upcoming food truck mashup, showcasing some of the best food trucks in Mississippi. Also, we'll talk to Lauren Davis from Learny D's Grill that serves gourmet burgers on four wheels and we never know what Deborah's going to bring in from her kitchen. Tune in to the next Deep South Dining today at 9 a.m., only on MPB Think Radio.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Doctors and survivors are urging Mississippians to get checked for colon cancer. The disease is currently the second most deadly cancer in the nation. Wellness advocates are raising awareness about colon cancer throughout the month of March. They say the biggest myth is that the disease only affects older men. Dr. James Soans is chief of the Digestive Disease Division at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood colon cancer affects women and younger adults.
7: Cancer anywhere is a, a malignant growth in your body that can be fatal if it's allowed to develop. Colon cancer, of course, develops in the large intestine or the colon. This is the very end of our digestive tract. Colon is about six feet long and ends at the rectum. And colon cancer can develop in any part of the colon.
5: Who is all at risk?
7: Colon cancer occurs in men and women. Combined, it's the number two cancer killer in America. About 135,000 new cases of colon cancer will turn up uh, this year. It's usually a, d- a disease of older individuals, age 50 to 75, although there is a trend, a very disturbing trend, over the last few years in colon cancer developing in younger people. In, in many cases, this in, uh, is a, a problem in younger people who have an, a relative who've had colon cancer, but sometimes it isn't. So There are about 23 million people age 50 to 75 in America that need to be screened that are not getting screened. We screen around 60 to 70% of people in America now in that age group. We are making an effort now to increase that to 80%. If we can do that, we will save 23,000 lives a year of people who would would have died of colon cancer. The death rate in colon cancer is decreasing over the last few years, primarily due to screening, but we, we need to do a much better job.
5: Based on your research, what are some of the things that are causing colon cancer? Is it diet? Is it activity? I know you briefly mentioned um, it being maybe hereditary, but what are some other reasons why people um, could have colon cancer?
7: Another thing people ask me about is diet. People want to know, are there things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing that may predispose me to colon cancer? Or are there things that should be in my diet that may help me prevent colon cancer? Well, colon cancer, uh, like other cancers, unfortunately is uh, caused by our Western diet. And what is our Western diet? Well, we eat a lot of red meat. Uh, We eat a lot of carbs. We have sugary beverages, uh, processed foods. All of these things have been linked to developing cancers, particularly colon cancer.
5: Do you have any comments looking at Mississippi specifically? I know we've talked about you know, like the national numbers and trends. In your work here in Mississippi, what is the culture of trying to prevent colon cancer?
7: Well, Mississippi is a, an epicenter, one of several in the country that where colon cancer is extremely prevalent, particularly in the Delta area of Mississippi. We're not certain completely of the causes of this, but we know one of the causes is our poor rate of getting screened. So right now, uh, Dr. Roy Dewey at, at the university has been uh, championing a program that tries to increase our screening. We're we're in such bad shape in Mississippi that instead of adjoining the national level of 80 percent screening by 2020, we're going to be trying to get our level of screening up to 70 uh, percent, which is still... Uh, a great accomplishment if we're able to do that. We'll save lots of lives. I might mention, too, about the other fear that people have of screening. You know, sometimes they don't get screened because they just don't know to get screened or no one has recommended it. But the other big problem we have is people are afraid of screening. They're either afraid of the procedure or they're afraid of or reluctant to take the PrEP. But first of all, the procedure is extremely safe. The risk of uh, perforation, which are making a tear in the colon, the risk of bleeding induced by the procedure. Although those are real risks, and we explain them to the patient, they're very, very rare. We're talking about a, one in several thousand uh, cases where you might have something like that. The other problem is uh, people are afraid it's going to hurt. But I can tell you, because I'm an old fellow that I've been around a long time, and I remember the days when colonoscopy was more uncomfortable than it is today. My experience was just like many patients tell me. uh, When I go to the recovery room and see the patient to check them out to go home, the most common question I'm asked by the patient is, when are you going to start? They feel absolutely nothing. They don't even know they've had a procedure. And that truly has been my experience. I've had around five colonoscopies in my lifetime. And uh, it's literally amazing how the medications work, so it's very comfortable. I've never had any pain or discomfort at all uh, during a colonoscopy.
5: All right, Dr. James a Division Chief of Gastroenterology at the University of Mississippi Medical
2: Center. Thank you so much.
7: Thank you. I enjoyed being with you.
2: Linda Dahl was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer in 2016. After 31 treatments of radiation, chemotherapy, and a surgery, she says she doesn't want anyone else fighting the same battle she did. She says it's important to get checked.
0: A lot of people think of colon cancer as an old man's disease, and it's not. Um, It has been found now it's showing up in a lot of younger people, and it's important to know the signs and the symptoms of colon cancer, colon and rectal cancers. Um, if you have changes in your your bowels, if you have extreme weight gain or extreme weight loss, if you have constipation or diarrhea, I had all of these symptoms and um, kind of thought They were hemorrhoids or something like that. I kind of ignored them. But people need to know the signs and that it can show up in younger people. I have friends that are also Fight CRC ambassadors, and they're in their 20s and 30s. And we've lost people that are in their 30s, which is heartbreaking So basically, it's not an old man's disease anymore. We need to get the word out that colon cancer is the second leading killer of the cancers in our nation and that people need to be aware of the danger signs and what can come of it.
2: March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
7: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Symphony Orchestra, presenting music of Brahms and Gustav Mahler's Symphony No. 1, The Titan. This Saturday, at Thalia Mara Hall. Tickets at msorchestra.com.